Good morning and welcome. I want to thank you this morning for, for joining us and um, I pray that you're, you're blessed by the word and that you're encouraged by what, uh, what I'm sharing with you this morning. I pray that God's spirit uh, leads us all and well, particularly leads me, but also speaks into your heart. And in a, in a moment, we're going to pray. Uh, brothers and sisters, continue to encourage one another, continue to be kind to one another and to look out for one another. Father God, I thank you so much for everything that you give us, even the very breath of life you've given us today. Uh, we don't take this for granted, Lord, that you have allowed us to come and live and breathe and have our being, Lord. And we want to do this so that we can honour you with our lives today. And Lord, I do pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would lead me and guide me and help me uh, as I share your word and that you would speak into the hearts of those that are listening uh, to my heart and to everyone's heart who is opened and ready to receive. If there be a closed heart out there, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would help open that heart to receive what you want to say. And I ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, last week, I started sharing with you some thoughts, and I want to just build on those thoughts this morning. But I'm going to allow you this morning, and do, I'm going to ask a couple of questions, but this time it's not for the children. Actually, it is for the children as well. It's for anyone, um, child or adult. But I'll ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to use the chat function this morning. Uh, I believe it's open for everyone to, to write to everyone. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions just as a way of refreshing and a way of remembering what, what I was sharing with you last week. And um, and just encourage you to write some thoughts. If, if thought comes to your mind, I'll encourage you to write that thought in the chat. But the first one is very, very simple. We started with one verse last week that I asked you guys to think about and perhaps for some of you to memorise. Um, can someone write for us or can some people write for us what it is that I asked you to memorise last week, which verse it was? Uh, perhaps you can even um, perhaps you can even write some of it out if you'd like um, for us. And so I want people to be thinking through what it is that actually was um, you were uh, perhaps encouraged to be thinking about, you know, um, last week. Praise God. So we've got 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. And the whole thing about 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 was that God's grace, God's grace, because of his grace, we are what we are today. Amen. Amen. And um, I, I, in, the midst of, in the midst of a few definitions that I said, you've heard many de definitions of grace and, and, and they're all, I'm not suggesting they're not right, but I, I, I put to you last week a definition for grace that I thought I wanted you to capture and, and understand. Um, can anyone remember what that definition was? Can anyone remember it's in, very, in its simplicity what, what I suggested last week that grace was? Here's a um, bit, bit more of a bit more of a test, bit more of a uh, um, dif a difficult one. Can you remember that definition um, that um, that was mentioned last week? I started it by saying it was God's decision to do something. It was God's decision to do something. Amen. Praise God. Amen. It was God's decision. It was God's decision to love the unlovable. When I think about that, I think about me. It was God's decision to love the unlovable. It was God's decision to change the unchangeable. And because God decided to do this, God didn't actually um, decide that he was going to uh, look at us and on our merits, he was going to change us. But in fact, he saw us and based on the fact that we had no merit, we had no capacity, he decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to change the unchangeable and I'm going to call it grace. And the scripture is, is, um, speaks a lot about this idea of grace. And thank you for, for those um, that have, have put it onto the, onto the chat. 
Um, and, and I wonder how many people, and I, I, I suspect by some of the text messages I've received during the week, I suspect that some people have tried to memorize that verse. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I've got another verse for you today to memorize if you want, if you want. There's nothing compulsory about it. But, you know, we're in lockdown at the moment and it's a great opportunity to, um, to be remembering and, and to be thinking about, about these things. So um, God's grace is, is all over the scriptures but it's particularly reflective of who God is. And that's what I'm really interested in. What is it about God that makes him full of grace? And what does it mean um, for, for us today? And so I want to I want to do this. I want to be able to, to, to weave together this theology I started last week sharing with you about how, how is it that, that grace, this description where God gives everything he can and, and man gives everything he can. You know, what, what is it about this that so makes it so remarkable or so mysterious that grace is about God giving everything that he wants to give to us and man being called to give everything he needs to give to God. And, and if I can, if I can, I'll try and uh, unpack that a little bit more today using the same passage that we started last week with, and that was 1 Corinthians 15. But what I want to do before we go to 1 Corinthians 15, so definitely open up your Bibles and go there because we're just going to finish that passage that I started sharing with you last week. But before we actually go to that passage, just leave it open. Just go with me to Psalm 23, okay? Famous Psalm that a lot of you would be familiar with. But I'm just going to read one verse from Psalm 23. And uh, this, is the, this is the verse that if you choose to want to memorize a verse this week, if you're in lockdown, you think, what can I do? Hey, what about memorizing a Bible verse? Fantastic. Let's do that. Uh, this is a verse that you can choose to memorize. I encourage you to do that. And it's Psalm 23 and it's verse, and it's verse 6. And I'm going to read it out to you. So I'll give you a moment to turn to it, but keep 1 Corinthians opened as well. Uh, we know the psalmist. The psalmist is a um, uh, beautiful psalm that talks about how God is his shepherd. Uh, how God restores his soul, how God is with him um, uh, in the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with him. And so this real sense that God the shepherd is protecting, God the shepherd is watching over, God the shepherd is doing what he needs to do to look after his child, his child. And then he, and then he ends the psalm with verse 6. See, then he ends the psalm and he says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I don't know whether you've pondered on this verse before, but, but this, this verse really actually amazes me. It actually, and it always has amazed me that what this verse is trying to um, uh, reflect about God, our creator, that, that God himself, the psalmist was absolutely convinced. The psalmist was, had this, he was sure in his mind that God, God chose to follow him, but not just God chose to follow him, but the Bible says that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you get this image that wherever you go, goodness and mercy is following you. Whatever you're doing, goodness and mercy is following you. It's after you. It's where you are and it's intentionally going after you as God's child. So you think wherever you're going, oh, goodness and mercy is following me. It's like you look behind you, oh, there's goodness and mercy. You look to your side, there's goodness and mercy. Because God is constantly seeking after your good. God is constantly seeking after your mercy. So he says goodness and mercy. He was absolutely convinced. And if you ponder on that for a moment, I'm sure your heart will be warmed and your soul will be encouraged to know that goodness and mercy follow after me all the days of my life. There isn't a limit to it. 
There isn't a time to it. There isn't a time that God says, enough, you know, I can't be bothered following him anymore. I can't be bothered following her anymore. They trust me. They put their life in my, in, in, in my hands. They, they want me. They adore me. And so I follow them all the days of their life. And I think that is an incredible picture of the intentional love and grace and mercy of God, that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Thank God that he does that. Thank God that he does that. So when we think of grace and we think of goodness and mercy following, we're off doing what we have to do. We're off living life. We're off making decisions. We're off serving. We're off spending time with people. But when we think of goodness and mercy that follows me all the days of my life, I want to ask you this very simple question. If we're off doing all these things, who's actually doing the work? Who's actually doing what has to be done? And this is the wonderful mystery where God is giving everything he can and man is giving everything that he can. This, this theology that, that people have deba debated for, for generations because it is, it is so um, complex yet it is so fascinating that God is pouring out with goodness and mercy and man is going out making decisions about what he needs to do. And yet God is promising that in those decisions, he's going to do all that is needed so that he is, he is glorified through our lives. So I want to read something out to you to, to help us understand a little bit about this beautiful blend between God's grace and man's decision to do what he needs to do. Listen to this. These are like little kind of descriptions of grace God's grace and, and us and what we do. Very simply, when I went for a walk, the grace of God followed me. When I had a job to do, the grace of God equipped me. When I had some family time, I was just spending time with my family, hanging out with them. Grace surrounded me. When I fought temptation, grace encouraged me. When I tried to find my way, grace shone a light for me. When I felt let down, grace held me. When I was without strength, grace cheered me on. When I couldn't find the words, grace advocated for me. When I turned around backwards to look at the pain of my regret and my regrets, grace took my head and gently turned it forward again. When I fell into sin, grace whispered, you're forgiven. And then it declared, go, sin no more. There's this incredible blend that brings together God's grace and what we're doing. And we think, we go off and we live life. And sometimes we, 
compartmentalized life as if to say this is the Christian thing to do and this is the, 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 the secular thing to do. Like I'm playing board games with my family. So that's sort of the secular thing. And then I'm off to church and that's the Christian thing. And we don't realize that everything we're doing, God's interested in. Everything we're doing is Christian. And what God is doing is equipping, empowering, strengthening, encouraging, cheering, helping, surrounding, holding, because this is God's grace. And I, don't, I will fail with my words to communicate to you the complexity and the beauty of the grace of God. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, go wherever you're going to go. And goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. And if you look back, if you look to the side, if you look to the left or to the right or to behind you, you'll realize grace is there. Mercy and goodness is following because it is trying to do all that it needs to do to get you to the end. But you're walking. You're trusting, you're holding, you're hoping, you're praying, you're seeking, you're loving, you're caring, and grace is moving with you. So who's doing the work? We may never understand completely, and I've been a Christian for many, many years, and still my head uh, tries to break down this concept, this idea of man's choice and God's grace. And maybe, you know what, I just find rest knowing that they both exist. In fact, if we don't understand it correctly, man can become quite proud. Thinking to themselves, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I can do and, and all those things. So I, wanna, I want you to imagine something for a moment. Imagine if we were able to program. Now, think about this for a moment. Imagine if we're able to program a robot, you know, these, these, these incredible human-like beings, you know, the artificial intelligence that we're seeing in our world today. And, and you look at what they've been able to accomplish today and it's remarkable how human-like they can appear. And I'm sure they're just going to get better and better at what they're doing and more, more detailed in what they're doing. But imagine if we're able to program something robotic that is able to worship perfectly better than any christian could worship imagine that they they, they worship perfectly their, their passion was perfect their, their intention was perfect you know they, they their focus on god as they as they worship was perfect can you imagine everything that we saw in their lives was was perfect it was like wow you looked at me you thought wow look at these look at these people look at these things they worship so well they come before God in song and worship and, and they do it so without faults. It's fascinating when you think about it because what's going on there? They're able to do everything really, really well. They're able to do everything really, really perfect. And God has the outcome that, he, that, that, that perhaps he wanted, but he doesn't have what he desires. And what he desires is man that comes before God, men and women that come before God with hearts that say, God, here is my heart. I worship you. Here is my life. I worship you. And this is where these robots or whatever you want to call them can't do this. They make sure they can be programmed. And if you say it's all God, well, then you, they can be programmed to worship. But what about that part in us that says, God, I give you my heart. And so what happens with worship is something quite remarkable. We come because we say, God, I want to give you my heart. And in all our imperfections, we come and we worship God. And then God pours out his love. And because God pours out his love, we worship him more. And because we worship him more, God keeps pouring out his love. And we worship him more. And this is God's desire. 
God is pouring out grace. Goodness and mercy is following. And we're in response. We're loving and we're loving and we're loving. And we're saying, God, I give you everything. What did we sing earlier today? Take this life. Take this life. I am yours. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. He says, God does not want to have success come without work. Do you understand that? God does not want to have success come without work. And yet I am not to achieve it by my work. I read it out to you again. It might take you a little while to get your head around. But it says, God does not want to have success come without work. And yet I am not to achieve it by my work. So when Paul speaks about the grace of God, I am what I am, we begin to really understand Paul grappling and understanding this idea that God has poured out everything Paul needs to become everything he needs to be. And yet Paul says, I'm going to do what I have to do so that God continues to work this grace in me. So let's go back to Corinthians 15. and I just want to uh, finish off the passage that I started reading last week. Here we go with me to, to chapter 15 and we'll go, we'll go to, um, um, or we'll read verse 1 again as a refresher, but we'll go straight to verse 2. Um, Paul, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church yet and he's, he's saying to them in verse 1 of chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which, in which you stand. That's what he was saying to him. And then he says, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. <laughs> now, we could, we could spend, um, uh, I don't know how long we could spend talking about this verse, um, the complexities, the beauties, and you, and you start to realise, wow, you know, um, how, how deep and rich God is. And what Paul is saying here, this is, the, this is the grace of God. This is the gospel which has saved you. But then he asks them, he says to them, it has saved you, but hold fast. Hold fast to the very thing that saved you, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, what's it, what is it all going to come down to if you don't? And so he's encouraging them, this gospel that has saved you. Now, I don't think Paul's saying it saved you and that was it. What Paul, I think, is saying here, this gospel that has come and has rescued you from this world and this same gospel that continues to rescue you from everything that wants to tie you down to this world. Pick anything in your life that wants to tie you down to this world, that wants to chain you to sin, that wants to chain you to pride, that wants to chain you to envy or chain you to lust. Bring everything before the Lord. And the Bible says that grace wants to smash that chain because we need to hold fast to the very things that God has, has given us. And God's grace, God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, breaks all the chains that want to hold us down because salvation doesn't stop when we confess our sins to the Lord. Salvation is what continues all our lives for the Lord. And so we persevere to the end by the grace of God. He says, but I want you to hold fast. Hold fast? Unless you've believed in vain. Believed in vain? What does it all come down to if you let go? Hold fast with a God who's holding you fast. 
And I love it because the Bible doesn't make it, though it's complex in cases, it makes it very straightforward for us. The grace of God has come to me and the God is asking me to hold fast to what he's given me. Because everything in my life God is going to deal with as I continue to trust him and hold on to him. Remember last week I said how um, uh, there is no best before date with Jesus. It's not like, yes, it was working for you and then one day it stopped working. It wasn't like he ran out of charge and all of a sudden there's nothing God can give you anymore. Or he was really, really good until something better came up, maybe a better philosophy, a better book, a better group of people, another community, and all of a sudden Jesus is kind of old. It's kind of lost its dates, used by dates. There's nothing like that with God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's us, ourselves, that begin to let go. And so God, what he's calling us to do is to hold fast to the very things. And this wonderful thing happens that as we hold fast, God continues to make sure we hold fast. Listen, it's like this. And, I, and, and you, you may not agree with me, and, 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 and that's up to you. But I see it like this, yeah? It's like this. God is saying to me, if you hold on, if you hold on, I will make sure you will always hold on. You understand? That if you hold on, I will make sure you will never let go. If you hold on, I assure you, you will always hold on. It's like the classic story of a man who might be in his boat in the middle of the ocean. And he's in this boat in the middle of the ocean and, he's on his, and, and maybe he's with someone. Let's say he's with somebody. And, 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 and it's, he falls out of the boat. And have you ever seen those scenes where someone's falling down and they're sinking into the water and they're looking up and all they can see is the bottom of their boat? But they see themselves sinking and there's nothing they can do to save themselves. They can't, they run out of energy and they're just sinking into the water and they look up and they can see, uh, you know, the, the water and the boat above them. And then all of a sudden someone throws in a rope. Now, you know where this story is going, but I want to highlight something. Someone throws in a rope and this man is, and the rope comes past this man. We don't ask that man to do this, do we? We don't say to that man, hey, just wait, because that rope is going to wrap around you and then pull you up. No, we don't say that to the man. We say to the man, hold on. We say to the man, hold on. So he can be pulled back up again. But this is where grace becomes amazing. Because when we hold on to that rope, the hands of Jesus come and hold on to our hands. And he wraps our hands and he says, you hold on and you will, I will assure you, you will never let go. And that's our assurance. Not that I'm going to have the capacity to do it, but as I hold on, his capacity to keep me holding on is called grace. And it's by this grace I'm saved. And it's by this grace I am what I am. Brothers and sisters, if we had nothing to do with it, if we had nothing to do with it, then we couldn't ever misuse it. Does that make sense? If I wasn't responsible for grace, then I could never be um, accused of misusing grace. But that's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, we then as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Because he's telling us there is a responsibility we have. Sure, God will make sure you keep holding on, but don't receive this grace in vain. 
use it rather than abuse it. Take it for what it is and allow God to make it work in you with great power. Remember, wherever I go, goodness and mercy follows me. And then Paul decides to give this beautiful narrative about the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to read this out to us. So we'll just read verses 3, three to 7. He says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the Twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. He gives this narrative of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we know, brothers and sisters, we know that it is the most attacked narrative history has ever seen. I don't believe there's another narrative that has been under attack as much as the death the coming, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the enemy knows, the devil knows, that if he can undermine and cause people to doubt this, he will win them. So what other narrative is the devil most interested in other than that which Jesus Christ came, he died for our sins, he died to set us free, and then he rose again to conquer sin and death, declared to be the Son of God. That is going to be most attacked. And yet, and yet, People still say it didn't happen. Isn't that bizarre? People say, oh, the disciples hallucinated or they conspired. Really? They, they 500 people hallucinated? Boy, that's, a, that's never heard of before. 500 people all got together to conspire. Not one person thought, forget this. I'm going to be honest. Really? And so there's this idea that people try and add different thoughts to the death and the resurrection of Christ so in order to undermine because they are lies set on fire from hell. And then people died for their faith. So they made up a lie and then they went and died for it. Oh, strange times if that's what happened. Because it didn't happen. Uh, As in they didn't lie and then die for it. It happened because it happened. Jesus Christ came, lived, died and rose again. And because of this, we have received what we have received today. It's called God's grace. You know, um, so many Christians lost their lives for the faith and we are in some ways indebted to what they've done most of you some of you sorry would be familiar with in rome there are miles kilometers something like 900 or so kilometers of underground tombs they're called catacombs and, and these catacombs were were, were um, uh, dug out by christians um, f- for years over years and some suggest that some, some 4 million Christians died and were buried there because of their faith. But if you go today, if you go today and you look on the walls of some of these tombs, it says this, on the walls they have inscribed, the word of God is not bound. Because even though the world and the Roman government of the time tried to suppress and eliminate and to kill off the Christian faith. And even though millions of people died and were buried in these tombs, God's word cannot be chained. And, of course, that's taken from 2 Timothy. 
The word of God cannot be chained. The word of God cannot be bound because God, through the blood of the martyrs, God, through the faith of the believers, God, through his faithful grace, has continued to work that when men were being killed and when men were being tortured and when men were being slain for the faith, God's grace and God's goodness and God's mercy was following them. And we thank God for that. We thank God for the work that he was doing. The devil would love to silence the faith. The devil would love to silence you by not understanding what God is doing, by somehow whispering and saying to you, you're all alone. You can't keep doing this. This is all too hard. How are you going to keep going to the end? The devil's going to continue to whisper all these things, as I'm sure he would have whispered even to those Christians in those tombs. What on earth are you doing? Give it up. Go back to your families. Why are you here for? Why are you suffering for? Is it, what is it? You know, we're all go to the same God. It doesn't really matter. And the devil's going to whisper all these things in your head. And then you can say, you know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Because listen, you cannot kill grace. You can't. You can't kill grace. And then when we experience this grace, brothers and sisters, what happens? Well, let me tell you what I've experienced. And I'm sure you, you've, many of you have experienced it as well. That when you experience this kind of grace, you can't help. You can't help but show it to other people. Have you experienced that? When you've experienced this grace, you can't help but show it to those around you. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. That when we become these recipients of grace, we become a light for this grace. It's like um, siblings. I don't know, uh, young people, children. Uh, I don't know whether you, you sometimes fight with your siblings. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't fight with your siblings. Uh, have you ever had situations when you've, you know, your brother or your little brother or your sister is annoying you and you, and you want to get really frustrated, you want to get really annoyed and you might yell at them or you might push them or something like that. And you think, wow, you know, this and this is going on and maybe you don't speak to them, maybe they've upset you so you don't talk to them anymore because they did something or they drew on your book or whatever it might be and they've, they've hurt you, you've hurt your feelings. And, and have, you ever, have you ever experienced that with your brothers and sisters? What about trying something different? It's called grace. What about trying something different with your brothers and sisters the next time they scribble on your book, the next time they upset you, the next time they take something out of your room without asking you? What about trying something different? What about trying this, loving them, doing good to them, blessing them and praying for them? Just maybe God's grace will soften and change them. But this thing we call sibling rivalry that happens sometimes uh, uh, can last for years, can, can so easily be destroyed or, or healed, rather, by God's grace. Verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, verse 8. And afterwards, uh, sorry, verse 7. And after he was sent by James and then by all the apostles. And now listen to what Paul says. It's really cute what he says here. Uh, but, but, but telling, it tells us something here. Yeah. 
Um, and then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Now, of course, what Paul is saying here, he's not the last person to see Jesus uh, in the sense of getting to know him out of the disciples. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't among the original 12. He was born out of time, if you like. He, he sort of came unexpectedly. He came and joined them later, you know, and he says, after everyone, he was also seen of me as one born out of time, an untimely birth. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't understand how and why God chooses certain people and when. All I know is God's grace. Um, some people say they wish they came to the Lord when they were younger. Do you say that? Some people say, oh, I wish I came to the Lord when I was, I want to come to the Lord when I'm older. Do you say that? Or I wish I came to the Lord when I was older, would have had life, more life experience. Do you say that? You know, I came to the Lord when I was 16. Some of you may have come to the Lord when you were 60. I don't know. But whatever it is, God's grace said, this is the time I need you to come to me because this is the time I'm going to most use you and most effectively. So if you come to the Lord when you're 16 and you come to the Lord when you're 90, it doesn't matter because the Lord is going to use the time that you have perfectly because this is God's grace. It doesn't mean you wait and you say, you know what, oh, God's going to use me when I'm 90 because you don't know. Remember I said last week that the God's RSVP doesn't have a date. It doesn't say by a certain date you need to come to know the Lord because today is the day of salvation. Today we don't know if we will go to meet the Lord. But whether where you gave, when you gave your heart to the Lord and how you gave heart to the Lord, this is God's grace. So rejoice, brothers and sisters. Rejoice that today, today you know him. Today you have a relationship with him. Rejoice that grace has, is with you and rejoice that goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Paul says, I'm untimely birth. But look how effectively God used Paul. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, for I'm the least of the apostles. Look at the humility of Paul. For I'm the least of the apostles who are not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now we know the story of Paul when Christians were being persecuted earlier on. Paul was given the approval for their persecution and Paul was wanting to increase their persecution, hence the reason why he went to Damascus until God struck him down. But he says, I'm unworthy. I'm responsible for the lives of Christians before I even got saved. I'm responsible for the damage I caused them, the pain, the hurt I caused them before I even got saved. He goes, but you know what? I'm unworthy. And that's why he goes into say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's why it's called amazing grace. Some of you would be familiar. We sing a kind of a different version of it in church, but some of you um, would be familiar with Charles Wesley's song, Amazing Grace. It's a song that was written many years ago, maybe a couple of hundred years ago. And he says this, he says, and, and can it be that I should gain, how can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? How, how could he be interested? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me 
who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How can this happen? I caused this pain. I caused this suffering. How can it happen that God was interested in me? How can it happen that he pursued me? How can it happen that he came and he washed my sins away? This is why it's amazing grace. How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? We all know the feeling of being unworthy. But can I encourage you in understanding something? It's because of this feeling of being unworthy you understand grace. It's until you come to a place understanding that you are unworthy and incapable that you understand grace. When everyone around you seems to be doing really, really well, but maybe a lot of people around you are pretending. They're wearing a different kind of mask, not the masks that we wear today, but a different mask that tell, doesn't tell people how they really are going. And they're only hurting themselves because they're in denial. And you look around at everyone else, everyone seems to be going really well, really cool. They're just, they're living life so well and everything seems to be going well for them. Until you have a sneak preview into their homes and you realise, oh boy, it's not as good as it appears. But when you understand how unworthy and incapable you are, you begin to understand the grace that transforms your life. Remember the woman who just felt so shameful of herself going into, I think it was Simon's house. And here they were all sitting around being entertained by the words of Jesus or perhaps not entertained. Maybe that's just my spin on it. But here they were just sitting around listening to Jesus. And this woman comes in and she can't help herself, but she starts to cry. She starts to cry. She, she, she starts to weep. And through her weeping, uh, she starts to wash his feet. And through, through, with her hair, she starts to dry his feet. And she anoints his head with oil. And, and I think it's Simon that says, what's going on here? He lets a sinner touch him. As if he's not. And then Jesus gives him a story. And he talks about... Uh, people, two people who owed money or two people who owe money and one owes a lot and one owes a little bit but they're, both their debts are cancelled and he asks him which, do you, which one do you think would, would, would value that more and he goes oh, of course the cost of the one who is can his debt is cancelled more and then Jesus says this therefore I say to you her sins which are Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. When you come to a place and you realise just how incapable and unworthy you are, and you realise, boy, how in the world is God ever going to forgive what I've done? But this is the place where you know grace. But this is the place that doesn't keep you there. This is the place that the whisper of God says you're forgiven and then the voice of God says, go, sin no more. This is grace. And because you know this, the Bible says, because you are forgiven much, you love much. See what I mean? God pours out his love and you love more. This is grace. And then verse 10 
the very verse I asked you that we asked, we started with last week. And so by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so hopefully if you've memorized this verse, you, you, you now have a clearer picture by the grace of God. You have a clearer picture of what Paul is trying to say. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain because Paul doesn't take it in vain. Yes, but I laboured more abundantly than they all. And we know that Paul isn't saying that proudly, but he understood how grace and man's efforts work. I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I. How do you figure that out? Well, everything I've been sharing with you, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And says, I laboured, God empowered. And as I did it, God allowed, because God's goodness and mercy kept following him. Hold on, and God will assure you that you'll never let go. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Remember, the, it reminds you of the blind man. Remember the blind man we read about in John chapter 9, and he was there, and he just couldn't believe it. He was, he was born blind from birth. And when they kept quizzing him, they kept asking him, he kept sort of saying, well, this is what happens. You know, it's God's grace. This is what happened. You know, I, 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 was, I was blind, and now I see. Remember what he says to the people? He says, he says to them, um, when, they were, when they were judging Jesus, remember they were judging Jesus? Oh, this man's a sinner. This man's a sinner because look what he did. Look what he did. And, and the man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I can see. What this does, beloved, and I'm going to start to wrap this up. What this does, it, it, um, heals us it heals us from all unrighteous judgment it's it it um, prevents us from going around and judging unrighteously when we understand the grace of god and in all its beauty and its transformative power and its capacity not only to forgive, but to smash the chains. Because God is pouring out goodness and mercy. And we're crying out. And as we're crying out, he's pouring out. It heals us, heals us from unrighteous judgment. It stops all self-righteous judgment. You know what our judgment becomes? <laughs> this is what our judgment becomes. That God loves and changes. That's our judgment. That's the judgment that we're driven by. That God loves and changes. Remember? That God's decision to love the unlovable and change the unchangeable. That becomes our judgment to this world. That God loves and changes. Now, we can't make them. And if they don't, there is a destination called hell for them. And, and we desire not, we don't desire that for them. But our judgment is that God loves and changes. And our testimony when they ask us is the same thing, that God loves and God changes. Our testimony is, yeah, I, I found God. <laughs> no, our testimony is that God loves and changes. He gives grace to the humble because the humble realize they need him. 
You know, we know that's what the scripture says. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And remember, David went down into the valley. He went down, he humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, he was victorious over the giant. He gives grace to the humble. And his grace gives us the power over sin. Remember the Bible says that sin won't have dominion over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Sin's dominion, sin's power, sin's influence, sin's damage, all these things. The Bible says that sin, again, I'll, read, I'll, I'll say it again to you, that sin shall not have dominion over you, power over you, influence over you. When it, when it whispers and says, I got you, no, sin doesn't have dominion over us because we're not under the law, but we are under grace. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that he came, he died, he rose again from the dead. And then finally, verse 11, and we'll end here. Therefore, whether it was I or they... <laughs> So we preach and so you believe. Isn't it beautiful what Paul does here? I love what he said, does here. He says, you know, I was born out of time. Uh, I laboured more than them. Uh, he, he's, giving his, he's being honest. He's sharing his story. He's sharing his life. He's sharing his testimony that God loves and changes. Uh, but he laboured. And then all of a sudden he says, you know what? At the end of the day, listen, I, want, I want to clarify something. Let me summarise it for you. That really, at the end of the day, whether it was me or them, we preached and you believed. It doesn't really matter who it was because it's God's grace. It doesn't really matter what it was. It was God's grace. Have, have a talk to um, Balaam in the Old Testament. What, do, what is he going to say to you? It was a donkey. It was a donkey that spoke to me. So it doesn't really matter who Paul's saying. It doesn't matter who it was. At the end of the day, we're all working for the same God and the same God uses the same grace. But at the end of the day, what happens, what we're most interested in is that you have heard and you have believed. That's because it's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about who preaches. But it's about God. And it's about God reaching your heart by his grace so that you would come to a place of believing and being set free. And maybe this morning you grab a little seed and that plants in your heart. Praise God. And then maybe you go to prayer on Tuesday night and our brother shares something with you and another seed plants in your heart. Thank God. And then you go to Thursday night and you to the Bible study and, and another seed plants in your heart. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's preaching and who's sharing. At the end of the day, it's God's work. And at the end of the day, our greatest desire is for you to hear and for you to believe. That's why it's amazing grace. <laughs> It's amazing grace in everything I do and everything you do. And it's amazing grace in everything I believe and in what you believe. And for this, we are thankful for. Let me pray for us, brothers and sisters. Let me pray this morning, asking the Lord to work his amazing grace in our lives. We are completely indebted. We are completely grateful for what God has started in us. And what he promises, he will finish. Whatever our plans are over the next weeks and months or years, 
whatever our current trials and challenges are, whatever our current victories and joys are, it's all God's grace. Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Father in heaven, help us to see. Help us to see, Lord God, that um, yes, we give all of our lives to you. But that goodness and mercy follows us. Help us to see the depth and the richness of your grace. Help us to understand and to throw ourselves at the foot of your cross and to declare that it is you, Lord, that is working. Thank you, Father, that you have not forsaken us. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to work for us and work with us. And I pray that you continue to encourage my brothers and sisters to press on in this amazing grace. And, Lord, I pray for those perhaps this morning who don't know you or those who are struggling to know you or those who are finding it hard to believe in you or those who are ashamed, ashamed in some way. I pray that you would open their hearts and eyes and just give them a little glimpse, a little glimpse of your grace because I think that's enough for them to believe. So I pray your blessing on us all in the week ahead. Continue to encourage us. Continue to work through us as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.